on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. Our breath is mostly unconscious. We're not aware and, and it's generally quite shallow, but also a reflection of our emotional state. So if we're in a place in our lives where we're stressed or afraid, the breath is going to reflect that with a certain breathing pattern. We're coming out of a stress response, which we're normally overstimulated in a very high-speed life these days. The ability just to kick back and slow down and self-regulate is a very important act of self-love and self-care that can be done that's accessible to anyone. And we don't have to go to the jungle to, mm. to get that. We don't need a shaman, you know, to get that. We can become our own teacher and our own healer and let the breath be our guide. What does it mean to be a man today? And what is masculinity reclaimed from the toxic patterns of domination and disconnection? In an era polarized by conflict and biospheric uncertainty, how might we look to the ancient and emerging mythologies for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of imaginal possibility. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Robin Clements, an international leader in the field of conscious, connected breathing. He is the founder of Breathwave, as well as a surfer, yogi, and father. Robin also happens to be my neighbor. As well, my partner has trained with Robin for many years, and so it was inevitable that one day I would dive deeper into breathwork. This episode was recorded during Robin's introductory seven-day training in the beautiful Highlands area on Vancouver Island. Each day, we gathered in circle to connect with each other, learn the science and way of breath, and dive deep into our practice. In our conversation, Robin shares his own journey into breathwork, the foundational capacity to self-regulate one's nervous system, and what patterns he often recognizes in men. We touch on partnership and fatherhood, and how his own relationship to breath has evolved over the years. A heads up before we begin, you can now subscribe to The Mythic Masculine on Substack. I invite you to become a paid subscriber for just $5 a month, which allows me to keep producing episodes like this one. I don't accept advertising and rely on listeners like you to fund the show. You'll get access to exclusive posts, episode transcripts, and more. Visit themythicmasculine.com supporter to join. And now, we begin this episode with a 10-minute breathwave journey for you. Feel free to listen on high-quality headphones, find a comfortable place, and surrender to the breath of life. So inviting us into uh, a simple, gentle breath experience, whatever way you can settle in and just create the space for yourself for the next 10 minutes or so. You may want to lay down on your back or just sit back in a way that your spine and your head are fully supported so you can completely relax. And just bringing awareness to how you feel in the body how the surface of your back connects with the surface that's supporting you. 
bringing attention here, closing the outer eyes and allowing everything else to open up a little bit. And as you begin to notice how you're breathing, you begin to influence some aliveness in the inhale. Just inviting you to appreciate the inhale. As we appreciate something, it, it expands. And there's a natural relaxation and letting go. So just breathing naturally here, either in and out of the nose or in and out of the mouth, whatever feels comfortable for you. You may want to place one hand on your belly, one hand on your heart space. Notice how the belly wants to rise and fall. So kind of like filling a glass of water. Energy tends to lift from the base of the spine and travel upwards towards the heart. Now pay attention to the quality of your outbreath. Make it easy to relax and let go. This letting go and making the breath easy is really the main quality of self-regulation. Really opening the throat, relaxing the jaw. And eventually you might find that your breath can be continuous without a pause at the top or the bottom. Encouraging you to bring a little bit more aliveness in and fullness into the life force that's pouring in and through the body. Can you begin to feel the breath moving from the belly into the heart and to pour out? Embracing here your own winds of change. Accepting this opportunity to tune in to my feeling nature. You might remind yourself that it feels good to breathe. My body loves to breathe. Give myself permission to feel uplifted and allow any stress or heaviness to clear from my field of awareness. It's common to begin to feel some different shifts in the body. You might begin to feel some subtle tingling or the electricity of the life force that is beginning to circulate a little bit more dynamically. Notice how you can continue to participate in the flow of this 
current and connection with the life force. Letting the belly expand up into the heart and everything relax and fall away. and safe to move more energy and power and allow the body to really open and stay open and also to surrender trust and let go you begin to notice that the more freely that you let go of the breath the easier it is to receive Allowing for a unified force here to awaken and circulate whatever wants to move in this moment. There may be some emotions here or just sensation. Continue to be with your experience. Keep it simple, gentle, and relaxed. The more that we begin to breathe, the more life force we begin to move. So feel free to really enliven and really open the respiratory system if you want to move a little bit more energy and really experience the opening of the heart center from the belly. You may notice that you can breathe a little deeper into your pelvis, into your hips, and into the back body. You may notice that your side ribs want to expand more, that the upper chest might want to expand and soften more. You may notice that you begin to feel some sound or tension in the throat center. If this begins to happen for you, there tends to be something that might want to be expressed. What we love to encourage is a little sound frequency. If you're feeling the call to use your voice, please feel free to join me in a simple tone with a deep in breath. Uh, and back to your breathing. And if you're on your own and you'd like to make more sound, feel free. Notice how even in a few minutes here, you might feel more light, more enlivened, 
it's okay and natural to feel slightly lightheaded as there's more oxygen that moves to the brain. You might be feeling some heavy tendencies that start to move and this is our integrative ability and gift of utilizing the medicine of our own breath. The key here as you come back to this practice is allowing it to be relaxed and connected and comfortable to notice if you're working too hard with your back muscles or arching your chest and I like to encourage us to to keep it gentle and simple to give ourselves this kiss thank you for joining me Robin, to the show. Thank you. Could you please give a little uh, sense of where we are right now uh, and where you are right now, uh, emotionally, spiritually, geographically, just to situate the listener in this moment? Thank you. Well, we find ourselves in the heart of the forest, Vancouver Island, up in the highlands close to Victoria, which is a new land for us. We recently received the blessing of property here close by. And just recently we've been exploring for a new home for Breathwave and to be on these 120 acres in this beautiful space at, at Earth Spring is our first retreat. And it's a real blessing to be in the forest and, and in the highlands here where it feels very private and very comfortable. You know, that wood temple that they've built here out of the trees from the land here. Feels like a perfect container for our work. And so I'm in a place where I'm feeling very held and and blessed and supported with the work that we're doing and by the spirit guides, you know, that work with me and the spirits of the land here. It's been a, a beautiful opening that we've had just in the last couple of days of creating a safe container for everyone to really come into their hearts and their authenticity, being really honest with each other as we like to do and, and try to hold each other accountable to, you know, what the next step is in our life and, and also to hold some of those old pieces that, uh, want to be transmuted. So I'm, I'm feeling really grateful and grounded here. So this is my first Breathwave deep dive, and uh, I've circled it for some time. My partner has trained with you for many years, and I felt like it was, for a few reasons, it was the right moment to come. And yes, here we are about halfway through this level one training. And the question I have, uh, just to set some of the foundations for the listener, and for me as I'm still learning, is what is Breathwave. Uh, thank you. Well, essentially, it's a, a very complete self-healing modality of conscious connected breathing. And we bring more of a, a gentle approach to it that's ceremonial. And that makes it a little bit unique. You know, some of the offerings of breath are, are quite clinical today with the amount of information that we've been learning 
more about the nervous system and trauma in general. And breath work is shadow work. And so we come up against our trauma. We come up against the past when we start to open our frequency in, in the way that we do with our breath. And we start to clear the subconscious mind because the breath is really a bridge between the conscious and the subconscious. You know, it's that only function that we have in the body that's both voluntary and involuntary, right? So we start to access some of the things in the closet. And uh, the, the safety of the container is really primary to the quality of support that we create. And we do that together as a circle. And the design of the circle is really something that's sort of new that I brought in as Breathwave that wasn't part of my training. I was really trained to be a, a presenter, a workshop presenter in the training program that I learned. I stood up in front of a group of people that were sitting sort of in a classroom setting and we were critiqued on our awareness and our balance and our cadence and, you know, the quality of our voice, etc. And, and uh, it brought me into my power and showed me some ways that I was, you know, nervous and you know, how we have that that existential fear of how we present ourselves to others in a group. But when we sit in circle, there's a different thing that happens in us. Mm. You know, there's a quality of discernment and deep listening that happens much differently when we all sit at the same level and no one's closer to the center than anyone else. And when we pass the feather or the talking stick, you know, everyone has that within them without me having to invite that there's just a really deep respect that's cultivated in a circle and so i love that design and what what brought me to that was really the the sweat lodge initially and then some of the other teachers that have blessed my path with uh, the native american traditions and other ceremonies that's really shaped what i'm bringing at this point in my life yeah for the listener who who may have an idea or experienced an ayahuasca journey for me it has a similar feel to it except without the ayahuasca as in the medicine is the breath um, but a similar ceremonial container a similar um sense of just yep moving shadow work you know deep authenticity um it's quite something yeah to experience and and almost to look around and be like where's the plant medicine but it's like wait it's here in you in me and that's like uh still letting that land for me uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. It's recently been said that there's more DMT in the lungs than there is in the brain, and I haven't seen the science of that. But I've definitely gotten a lot more from the breath than I have from other plant medicines, and I've been quite exploratory in the realm of, of plant medicine work, and I've been really, really privileged and blessed with a lot of incredible uh, medicine keepers and holders of long traditions that have showed up, especially in my community in Mexico. And to be a part of that and, and to support the community in those experiences has definitely helped, you know, unlearn some of the things above my past and the things that I was holding on to. But the breath itself is so unique in that it's it's a little bit more self-empowering because you're the one doing the work. It's a self-healing practice. And actually one of the women today shared that it, it seems really similar to her, but even more manageable because you're able to really participate in it 
And if you feel like you're working too hard at any time or there's too much happening, you can soften the experience by changing your breathing pattern. And that's one of the things that's really easily overlooked in the experience is that not a lot of people have realized that their breath is a very deep reflection of their life and how they're living. It's the most fundamental relationship that we have. So to be able to become more aware of our breath and how we're breathing, it starts to show us some of the ways where we might be controlling or contracting or working too hard. And everyone has some subtle different nuances of how they go about anything. And it's said that how we do one thing is how we do most things, right? And so it fascinates me to uh, be that reflection of a mirror for someone and to bring to their awareness what they might not be noticing that, you know, they're tightening their jaw a little bit, for example. And that might mean that there's some unexpressed anger that's there. And so we, we explore with the power of sound and the power of some movement and expression to, to power through some of those things. But there's, there's a real humble conscious awareness that brings more attention to, to the subtleties. And I've noticed how people can create really simple shifts in their breathing and how that can create really profound shifts and how we're relating to ourselves initially, but also how that reflects in our relationships. And, you know, our relationships are up right now. Uh, you know, most people are challenged in their relationship with everything that we're feeling that's going on in the world. Our relationships are challenged. And if we're not doing any self-work today, then it's going to be a lot harder to be more conscious, right, and committed to to self-growth. And I think that's the, really the framework for sacred partnership is that each person is committed to their own evolution, right? And there's a lot more rubber that hits the road on our spiritual path and in relationship than it does just being, you know, on our own. And so when someone goes about breathing without having a proper trained guide to support them, they might not be able to notice that they're using their back to breathe, for example, or that they're not breathing in their chest. And someone can continue their whole life not breathing into their heart and they're not going to bring as much love into their life they're not going to tap into that grief that's been stored there that had shut down the heart in the first place right that might just be ancestral so it's it's a real fulfilling and gratifying service to be a beneficial uh, presence in someone's life and, and to see those positive impacts that it can make on, on someone's life when they are able to make those changes and so how does one go from your origins, which I understand you grew up in Kamloops, right? mm-hmm. Kamloops, Canada, British Columbia, uh, to, to be here now? And, you know, it's not a long podcast, but I'd love to hear some of those kind of key moments for you in your journey and, you know, mm-hmm. finding this path, the path of plant medicine, the path of service in this way. Uh, uh, thank you. Well, I've spoken to it in depth in other podcasts, so, you know, I won't go on and on, you know, about my own story, but essentially I felt caged, you know, in this society and the educational system that we grew up in in the West. As much as I had really good friends and I was sort of in the popular group, you know, and really good people around me, um, I was in survival 
and uh, I found drugs and alcohol, you know, those tools that we get in the Northwest or in the Western world to manage the stress that I was experiencing in, in the home container and with the ways that, you know, maybe our parents didn't have tools for, for emotional development and, and, and maturity and all that they had on their plate. They were just doing their best to hold space for us. But there's a lot of stress that accumulates naturally in uh, punk rock and, uh, you know, getting together with, with friends in, in the mosh pit was a really good modality for me to come into my power and, and move some of those heavy tendencies that we accumulate. And, and that was a ritual practice without us knowing it. You know, it was really, really powerful for us as, as young men and women to, to get together and dance together in that way and find that expressive freedom. But eventually, um, once playing junior hockey just really wasn't resonating in a, you know, a tough guy's world, mm. having to, to drink and, and, and fight to be accepted by my peers, you know, uh, I was a goaltender, so I didn't have to fight on the ice yeah. so much, but, but, you know, once we were out in the street and I was, you know, billeted out to a new home, um, and I was a rookie or I was traded to another team, you know, I was always having to prove myself and eventually I was, it just wasn't for me. And I decided to go to the other side of the planet to learn how to surf because I had a love for snowboarding and skateboarding. And, and that really changed the course of my life. I, I met the dolphins and, and uh, that really impacted me in a way that I knew really clearly that I never wanted to be in, in a, classroom setting anymore but i wanted to to explore the, the gifts of the way the ocean was polishing my sharp edges and and uh committing to one place for a good six months really uh grounded the art of surfing in me which isn't an easy task it's a very humbling I've, I've tried a little <laughs> it's very difficult I you know, know it's it's 95 percent paddling and getting your ass kicked and um you know, there's different elements and, and, and rhythms of, of weather that show up in the ocean. And sometimes it's big and, and generally it's just pretty manageable. But having some camaraderie and some support from your peers in that, it also brings the tribal nature of, you know, someone showing you the ways and, you know, watching, but you're very much on your own on a surfboard. And so I was able to gain my strength and competence to be able to manage myself in the ocean to where it was it was safe enough for me and I could start to have fun. And I ended up spending a year um in between New Zealand and Australia and that uh that really grounded that in me. So it was only a short trip back to Canada working on a ski hill and snowboarding where I realized I wanted to get back to the sunshine. And I, I gathered up some brothers to create a caravan to to go down to Mexico and that's where I really landed on my feet and Mexico's really steeped in tradition uh, there's a, a lot of very available and accessible ceremony in in Mexico the sweat lodge tradition is a very common household spa treatment that was that was basically created you know, in many different cultures, the sweat lodge is a part of the culture, but for the Mashika, it was a way that they could 
look at someone that maybe had an illness or an injury and they would put certain herbs into the water that was going in onto the stones and the grandmother's breath that was released was also healing and that was administered in, in unique ways. But there was also a merging of the Native American tradition and how they started to travel down to Mexico and there was a merging of traditions. So we started to learn or the Mexica started to learn that more than a household spa treatment, it was also a place to pray. And I learned from a brother that I would consider a shaman. And I sweat at least every month for, for a good 13 years. And that was a really powerful portal space for me where we could go into the darkness and, and share the spoken word and what was going on for us and, and sweat out, you know, some of our fears and, come up against, you know, some of our resistance. Yeah, and around the same time, um, I, I found a really good teacher uh, that was a body worker, chiropractor, and he took me under his wing and I started offering hands-on healing. And that really landed me on my feet, realizing that I had a, a bit of a gift. And that was amazing in a place like Mexico because I didn't have a lot of overhead, right, to develop a craft. It was easy for me to do a few massages in a week and still be a surf bomb. And, uh, and, and I could get by, you know, and rent a nice little palapa or something, you know. And so that, that sort of escalated into getting a little bit more serious and, and doing the whole business, you know, motivated thing and, and, and creating Baja Wellness, and I founded Baja Wellness back in uh, early 2000. And, and that's when I found Breathwork, and it just really cracked me open right from the get-go. And I, I early on had a pretty profound awakening and realized that I wanted to dedicate my life to the breath. Well, I'm curious if you could lay a bit of the ecosystem of Breathwork, Breathworking, I suppose, like some of the lineages right because you've spoken a little bit about it i mean I, there's something through stalinos graf i guess you know there's holotropic or there's other types there's some others you mentioned you know so I, just i'm trying to get up my head around right like just the different uh mm -hmm. elements of this breath ecosystem so folks also know it's not just one type right like that there's yeah. uh and they, they some seem to branch off in some ways from different threads but yeah if you could just give a lay of the land i think that'd Thank be you. helpful yeah, a lot of breath that's being shared today is more scientific-based because we're learning a lot more about how the breath completely influences our blood chemistry and our nervous system and all the other systems in the body. And so a lot of the more yogic techniques um, are more meditative in nature. Box breathing and some of the really gentle nervous system regulating techniques are, are more accessible. But breath work, quote-unquote, really came to us through uh, Leonard Orr and rebirthing where he actually has accounts to where he did meet Babaji, the, the, the avatar, Babaji in the Himalayas, and he gave him the transmission. And he said, it's the simple things that are the most powerful. And he gave him this conscious connected breathing transmission. And so he brought it back. And there's some funny stories of them doing work in the water with people right away and they thought it was the water that was partly doing the work and they realized it was quite cathartic and so they said maybe we can do this on land without the water 
and the water's not so necessary because it's also a bit of a danger to have someone, you know, going into emotional catharsis when they're in, in water. And they were mostly doing it at a bathtub. But from the stories that, that I've been told, um, once they started doing it on land, they realized, wow, it's actually the breath that's doing the work. And so the Western approach to spirituality tends to be a little bit ambitious and uh, the the old school style of rebirthing tended to be a little bit more upper respiratory and quite dynamic. And the intention was to integrate your birth trauma, right? And I believe that we bring in all sorts of karma into that imprint of landing here on the planet you know what happens in our birth is very unique for each of us but i believe that that our imprint of what we maybe experienced in past lives is also imprinted on that experience of our birth and it definitely has something to do with our our mother's birth trauma and what we experience in utero as well and we keep learning more information about that but today there's many different expressions and offerings of conscious connected breathing. Stanislav Grof's approach was the the altered state of consciousness. He really had a love for LSD, from what I understand. I haven't met him. But he's a transpersonal psychologist, and so still today he's teaching psychedelic therapy-assisted transpersonal psychology work and realizing that we are accessing the subconscious and there is some very deep, psychotherapy work that's done with breath work and sometimes there's there tends to be some embellishment in that space of holotropic from what i've experienced and understood from others that have come from that space and can you define holotropic if you yep. so the holotropic state you could say is the transpersonal state so the state that's beyond our personal ego and so in order to unlearn the ego or unlearn our personal identity, we have to come up against it, right? And so what we might have experienced with a, a plant medicine per se has the opportunity of annihilating our ego. But in that process, whether it's a, a manageable plant medicine or something that just blasts you into God consciousness, you know, the breath is a little bit more manageable because you gradually take yourself to deeper states uh, of higher states of awareness through the high vibrational frequency of connecting the breath without a pause there's an electromagnetic current that's created when we say conscious connected breathing it means that the rhythm of the breathing is circulating without a pause and that's unique to other styles of breath work you know there's there's styles of breath work that promote breath holds Wim Hof, things like and, that. yeah and there's there's benefits to to the breath holds i like to get people into circulating the breath without a pause before i teach any breath holds because my awareness is that we're holding our breath unconsciously enough most of our lives so that it's really good to learn how to connect our breathing and there's great medicine in that fluidity for example, the pause at the bottom of the breath tends to represent an idea that we're not worthy to bring in the good and the blessings in our life. The pause at the top of the breath tends to represent an inability to relax and let go and be at peace with things. So when you start to unravel some of those unconscious stories through the the connected breathing pattern, it's definitely a journey 
for anyone, whether it's a few minutes and how that starts to just create and influence your circulation and bring more life force through the body and how healing that is for every cell in the body. But beyond a few minutes, we start leaning more into what Stanislav Grof calls the holotropic state, and we could call it the, the transpersonal domain. And so there, there's a lot more awareness around managing that in a really safe way, and the pattern of the breath is really essential to the relaxation response. And we've learned that we can mouth breathe and actually really comfortably and really safely and effectively regulate our nervous system by relaxing the out-breath. We can get more and more energy moving through the breath, and as long as we're relaxing the out-breath, there's no biomechanical imbalance, there's no chemical imbalance in our blood. And when we go into alkalosis, say if we start to force the out-breath, that can create an excessive discharge of carbon dioxide. So we're mostly receiving oxygen, we're mostly releasing carbon dioxide and the byproducts of what we're purifying in our blood. If we charge the exhale, then there's an excessive discharge of carbon dioxide. And so what happens there is that there's more oxygen in the blood because there's less carbon dioxide, yeah. And so we're learning that the balance between carbon dioxide and oxygen is really important in our bloodstream. And so the ex exploration of the difference between nose breathing, which maintains a little bit more, more, more moisture and it's a really good filter, is actually a safer way for most people to start breathing. And more of the yogic techniques are taught through the nose partly because of that. It balances the temperature of the air, it's a really good filter if we're in a place like Mexico City or even in Vancouver. You don't want to walk around breathing through your mouth as you'll have things flying in your mouth, right? Breathing before you go to sleep to regulate your nervous system and slow down your brainwave frequencies is most effectively done through the nose. But the more transpersonal domain that we're speaking of and and we like to lean people towards, which brings us out of our comfort zone, is more accessible through mouth breathing. And so what James Nestor, who wrote the book Breath, might call Breath Plus, um, and he recently acknowledged that he missed a whole chapter in that book because he hadn't explored really any breath work other than one holotropic session, right? So he realized that because his editors told him to go and, and study with the scientific community around the world in regards to the science of breath, he basically says, shut your mouth and breathe through your nose in, in the book, right? And that's a fascinating and very well-written book on the science of breath and the balance of our bloodstream. And, and oh, there's a lot that's there that's very well-written. It's probably the most elaborate but what we're leaning into with this work, with the transpersonal domain, or what we could even call the shamanic domain of this work that feels more like an ayahuasca ceremony, mm -hmm. is that when you connect your breath dynamically in and out of the mouth, there's there's a little bit more multidimensional experience that can happen. 
the when you relax the jaw and open the throat, there's a relaxation of the pelvis. And so it actually give us gives us more access to the lower energy centers in the body. And there's a lot more healing that's done down in the belly for a lot of us. That's where our self-confidence and our trust and safety really lives, where the vagus nerve is rooted. And so when you breathe diaphragmatically, you know you're breathing with your diaphragm because your belly's expanding and empty. And it's not a lot of air, but mostly the diaphragm is this large tendinous muscle that moves into the belly and massages the internal organs. And this also influences our glandular system. And so our glandular system essentially is the chakra system in the body, and it upgrades our hormones when we start to receive the life force, and we're able to track and be aware of that, right? Because our breath is mostly unconscious. We're not aware, and, and it's generally quite shallow, but also a reflection of our emotional state. So if we're in a place in our lives where we're stressed or afraid the breath is going to reflect that with a certain breathing pattern but we've learned that we can influence our breathing pattern and it not only affects our emotional state it starts to influence some of the involuntary functions because it starts to circulate a lot more intelligence we're coming out of a stress response which were normally overstimulated in a very high speed life these days the ability just to kick back and slow down and self-regulate is a very important act of self-love and self-care that can be done that's accessible to anyone. And we don't have to go to the jungle to, mm -hmm. to get that. We don't need a shaman, you know, to get that. We can become our own teacher and our own healer and let the breath be our guide. But it's good initially to have someone who's trained in this work to reflect some of those ways because what can happen when you start to lean into more energy moving is that you're going to come up against some of your survival mechanisms. And those patterns are very unconscious in the ways that we might start to, to contract against some of the discomfort or some of the old content that wants to move. And so to have support of someone that's really brought themselves through that space initially and had space hold held for them and they're properly trained to maybe adjust posture or bring some awareness through positive affirmation or hands-on support. It's incredibly beneficial and supportive in the space and that's how we teach facilitators. What are some of the patterns that you notice that come up in men? Yeah, that seem, you know, almost like, okay, this seems archetypal or... Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious to hear that. The most common pattern we see in men is a solar plexus breather. You know, the the toxic masculine is, I got to do everything. I can fix it, you know? Tell me what you need done and I'll take care of it, right? And it seems pretty obvious today that that there's a lot of pressure, you know, on men. We're in a confusing time where the feminine power is coming in. We're giving the women their power back and we're told to, you know, step back and circle and allow them to step forward, which is a beautiful thing to have the women leading us now. And it's also a confusing imbalance. It's like, if we don't have strong warrior men, where's our culture going? Right. And so a tendency that we see in the more type A workaholic is that there's a solar plexus 
back breather that's happening. And that tends to be more of uh, the back arching and the breath isn't moving all the way down to the genitals and it's not moving all the way up into the heart. And one of the stories we get as men that it's, it's, you know, boys don't cry, right? And so to tap into our feelings is, is new for most men. And eventually what I've found is that it's the softness of not working so hard at the breath that starts to crack the hardest shells. And once we really soften, there's some sadness that's there. And once we uh, give ourselves permission to tap into that sadness, there's our humanity, right? Which we're handed back into the hands of humanity. And, and then that's really humble. To be able to soften and to feel our emotions is, is essential for most men. And I mean, it's essential for all of us, right? But the experience for most men is that there's finally that opportunity that I'm given permission to feel what's been heavy on me. Yeah, it seems a, a, a common sort of revelation when a man finds uh, a space that they can soften into. I mean, oftentimes I find that in men's workspaces that seem to be, for many men, right, the first time that's the case, to be softer with other men. And it kind of opens up a gateway, right, of, of wait, what? This is possible. I mean, you, you told oh, stories, okay. right, of your youth when, you know, in the sports uh, realm can be this competition, right, this kind of toxic competition. And yet there's a whole repertoire, it feels like, of the, the emotional landscape that, uh, and I feel this too, that without a kind of uh, level of experience with those realms, it's no wonder that men are amateurs, right, uh, and emotions. Uh, and I mean, I feel that too. There's still this like uh, having to like learn a capacity and like a sensitivity to allow often, right? To surrender to the intelligence of emotion, which is a whole new thing, right? To think of, I have another episode where I talked with a friend uh, where, you know, I can really feel when I'm almost like a spectator on the emotion. Like don't don't want to get down in the, what feels like kind of the chaos, right? It's like, oh, I'm yeah. fine up here. I'll just hang out up here because, you know, emotions are chaotic. We don't need them. That's like judgment coming in. And yet, it takes often these spaces, right, of being held and and a kind of almost like I used the image earlier of like a tide of the ocean coming in to kind of envelop you. And that's how it feels like often in the space for me mm-hmm. to like be enveloped in this sense of safety. You know, safety is an interesting word these days, but sense of safety that it's like, yeah, it's okay to feel like it's okay to allow. Uh-huh. And that's a medicine too in itself. Yeah, beautiful. So the first invitation that I would have for a solar plexus breather is to come down into the root, to come to breathe all the way down into the lower belly. And self-confidence lives down there. And we start to dissolve that story that we're not good enough, you know, that we learn in a competitive environment. And once we get into our confidence, there's a lot more power and energy that starts to move. And then once we breathe from the belly through the solar plexus, there's some, there's some fear that starts to dissipate that's there. And when the belly and the solar plexus and the heart starts to open, that's when we connect with a greater power. And I find that when men connect with the heart in a very authentic way, there's a realization that we can hand 
the work over to creator. You know, there's the heart really it has this oneness experience when we really get in touch with the the sensation and the intelligence of the heart, which is sending more information up to the brain than the brain sends downstairs. And when we really open the heart space and we integrate some of the emotions that are there and we open all of our energy centers as this really simple undulating way of like that tidal rhythm you're speaking to, then we're really uplifted in a very simple but very profound way that's that's visceral, it's sensational. And it can really bring things alive. And one of the other qualities that tends to be in the lower energy centers is our creativity. You know, we've, we've all been given some gifts that, that we're meant to bring here to this life. And some of us have just been working for others to manifest their dreams. But I believe that each of us has some, some really special things to bring. And as we can really drop down into our own gut, we start to listen more to what is our purpose and what, what is our service in the world. And when we follow that, that call in our heart as well, there's a great fulfillment to that expression and embodiment and, and the manifestation of that and how it plays out in our lives if we if we stay in integrity with practice and mm-hmm. you know it's a different dive than than the tools that we're given you know we we've really been taught how to numb and avoid our feelings and so you know if we're able to put aside some of those things that we clearly know now are are not working which are our addictive tendencies and we pick up something like breath work, which can be also very addictive, but very healthy addiction. You know, it's it can be a really simple centering practice to to really come into our power and and be in integrity with that power. So so our power is not misused in any way, but we're following right action. It strikes me. That- and you said that this, this from the opening of the heart, there's this um, willingness to surrender, feels like, or to give over a kind of, uh, yeah, that there is a, an intelligence, uh, you know, the presence of the divine in a fashion. And it strikes me too that that is, it seems to be the bedrock of devotion, right? To, to live devotionally seems to be, you know, you have to be cracked open to fully trust and, and to to be in that state of gratitude, it seems to be. Like devotion okay. and gratitude seems so kin, and it's like it—it it seems difficult to me, yeah, to, because I feel like the mind is trying to figure out devotion, right? If the heart isn't open, and it's kind of like, what's the point? Or like, you know, that, there's, there's nothing there. Like this kind of mental gymnastics versus yeah. when the heart, it's just so obvious, right? Like if if I tap in or arrive in that state, in that state of grace, it's just so obvious. It just wants to pour out as as devotion, uh, right? Uh. To the to whatever the to the divine to the great beloved. But it's just a it's it's a wild architecture. It feels like that yeah that that's built into the human to the human right that with the heart open there's an innate desire to be in devotion. Yeah, thank you. Well, we're so programmed to live, you know, top down. It's a top down society, and we're you know we're taught that we're a mechanical machine and that we're not intelligent, and yet we're learning more and more about how incredibly intelligent we are, that we're the most advanced biocomputer, you know, ever. And as we tap into some of these higher states of consciousness and we start to get in touch with 
how power moves, it's, it can be a really altering experience. And, you know, each of us has a different experience of it, right? But the higher self, it, it'll show up maybe as a, a, an ability to tap into the next technology of our telepathy. And we start to get aware, become more aware of the, of past loved ones that might show up and be present there for us. And we realize that we actually have some, some spirit guides that work with us. And maybe I can manage and work with that a little bit more clearly if I, I stay open. And so the, the brain, as we access more potential of the brain can be really like an antenna, you know, and if we look at the science of the fact that the earth's electromagnetic field is identical to the electromagnetic field of the heart. And so we're directly connected to the earth's electromagnetic field and, and, and therefore to the stars. And we're like this conduit, right? And so to do some self work in this way and to clear some of the blockages in our spinal column and then some of the, the organs and the things that we've accumulated, we get to, uh, receive more downloads and more information of maybe why we're really here and where we're going. Right. And so when you speak to reverence, for me, that comes up of that, that act of pouring ourselves towards and in reverence to a greater power that is governing our lives. And, and our breath is definitely our connection to the source. Right. You know, I would love to hear bit of the sort of practical applications of breathwork in the sense of um, just the day-to-day. And I mean, and somewhere along the last decade or so, you met your beloved. Hmm. Um, I'd love to hear a few words about that as well. How, how, what in source told you that this woman was the one? Thank you. Yeah, well, uh, you know, your first question of, of the daily, all of us have a different daily schedule and and you know there was a time for me where i was just sort of shaping a spiritual practice working that into my life and and i was dabbling in it for a few years and then i had some pretty deep and profound awakenings and i realized like i really need to commit to this and then my life started to shape around my practice and it was really the path that has shaped itself around this medicine for me that brought me to Eden, my wife. And as any participant, I just kind of had her under my wing. And there was an elder and with us in Mexico that did a workshop. And uh, she called it Love Spell. And she had us clear all of our old relationships. And at, at that time, I was in a year of celibacy after uh, a relationship that didn't work for me. I was, I'm more of a monogamous individual and this, this individual wanted to be more poly. And, and, um, I was like, okay, I, I can see what that feels like, but I can't guarantee what I'm going to feel like if you, you know, go somewhere else. I want to come back, you know? So once that happened and, and I realized, you know, I, that felt a little bit dirty for me. And I just, I just want to dedicate some time to myself. And so Eden kind of showed up as like the, you know, Buddha under the tree and the goddess shows up and it's that temptation. Um, because during that workshop, 
um, once we cleared all of our old relationships, the seller invited us to just find someone's eyes in the circle. And this was in between two levels of training I was offering. And we dropped in and we realized something was really comfortable there and familiar. And so we acknowledged it and we said, you know, now, now is not the time for this, but let's, let's stay in touch. You know, there's something here. And, and, and about six months later, she came out to BC here and we've been together ever since. So it was really the, the path, you know, and, and I guess my dedication to my path. Cause if I wasn't as mature, you know, if it would have been 10 years earlier, um, I would have jumped on the opportunity and it would have been much too soon. And, um, I probably would have lost the opportunity really because she wouldn't have felt that, that respect that was deserved, you know, and that safety that she felt, uh, you know, that timing and that, that ultimate, you know, respect, uh, it was really important. It was different than I think she'd ever experienced. So yeah, she's my greatest teacher now. You know, and we're very clear that we need to set time aside and being parents with two little ones that we, we need our self care. And so we literally schedule it to where like this day, I'll give you a couple hours and tomorrow you get a couple hours. And, and, uh, there was a time and we, we could do it again soon here where we actually did have a schedule on the fridge where it was like these two hours on this day are for you, you know. And it's easy to get caught up in, in, in how much you can we can have on our plates, whether we have children or not. And I like to say to people, if you can't find 20 minutes, you should probably create an hour, you know, to drop in with yourself. And eventually we get so much from it. The hardest thing to do is just to create the time and the space for it. But once you drop into it and you realize how nourishing and replenishing and cleansing it can be, and how it really turns on your energy centers and brings you into much more of a positive experience because of all the really good endorphins you're getting. We're, we're getting more serotonin, more oxytocin, more dopamine. Dopamine makes you feel a little bit high. Serotonin makes you feel quite relaxed. And oxytocin is said to be the love hormone that we only experience when we make love. But I can guarantee that we, we get into oxytocin when we're breathing. And so to be able to have that and accessible to everyone as a daily practice is, is really a gift that I think has been sort of hidden, right, from us, um, maybe partly by the pharmaceutical system because, you know, people wouldn't be really good clients for, for that system if they knew how to heal themselves, right? But here we are learning more um, from some of our experiences of, of being geared towards you maybe having hypertension or high blood pressure and being given meditation medication and realizing that's not actually working for me kind of you know and so a lot of people come to breath work because it's uh things haven't been working for them and they need they realize that there's there's some emotions underneath those symptoms that they need to tap into right well i'm glad you brought up fatherhood as well because uh, uh you know as a father myself you know our our or my son and your daughter seem to get along most of the time mm-hmm. <laughs> Oren and sophia and um i wonder was that a decision i always like to ask fathers right but you know did you always know or is it something that just you know happened because you met the person or 
you know, spirit came and tapped you on the shoulder. I'd just be curious to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, neither of us really had the idea that that was coming through until it started to come through. And it was actually in a medicine ceremony that Eden received Sophia's spirit. And she didn't really know what to do with it. She was quite young at the time, and and uh, we weren't fully committed yet either. And um, months later, we felt much more committed, and and I offered her a ring. And it was shortly thereafter where she was doing some breath work, and Sophia came through again, and she just said to me, oh, "I want to have your babies. There's this there's this spirit that's there, you know." And and so of course I said, you know giddy up and <laughs> it was a conscious decision and we had fun you know uh, bringing that through and, and it's beautiful to make that all-in decision as two partners to to commit to that and well you, you've spoken as well about the role of at least how you found yourself uh as the father in the birthing time and mm -hmm. uh, i'd be curious to hear that thank you yeah i felt you know my place in the world you know, it's, um, there's not much we have to do, you know, it's, it's really astounding to witness the, the power of what it takes to bring life to this world. Um, the, the work that, that the woman does, not just in the birth process, but those nine months of preparation and what she's holding and what she's integrating. And breath work was really helpful for Eden during that time, especially in the first pregnancy for her to, to let go of her old self. And she did a lot of emotional healing work. And there's different ideas around, you know, whether women should breathe when they're, when they're pregnant. And she will attest to anyone that she knows for sure that what she got rid of with her breath, she wasn't passing on to Sophia. And um, I have experienced breathing a lot of pregnant women. There's doulas down in Mexico that would send their pregnant mummies to me frequently. I'm getting off topic a little bit, but um, my teacher had eight children and, and it's just an amazing thing for a woman to one heal her own birth trauma to learn a technique that's going to be really beneficial for her in between contractions, giving birth and, also connect with the spirit of the child before they give birth, right? So my role that I didn't really realize until kind of after, you know, the first birth was really beautiful and I spent a lot of time with her in, in, in and out of the birthing tub. Mm. And it was a home birth and we had some Ontario midwives that were there with us that were younger that really knew how to stay out of the way for the most part. And then the second birth, um, Eden wanted to free birth. She had an experience where she felt like she was a little bit pushed by what we call medwives. So midwives that are trained by the medical system to look for what's wrong. And they bring the emergency consciousness into something that's not an emergency until it is, right? And we've been doing it forever. And women, you know, can go there. And that trust and safety that's instilled by a really good, experienced midwife or doula is is uh, really important. And and some women are really good at at holding that space, and and really connecting into to being that guide and reminder to to drop into that safety and to self regulate. 
But I felt really quite insignificant in that space. And a sister of mine that has the Mama Psychedelia podcast, Mackenzie, she reminded me on our podcast that the father is more like the angel in the space. He's the space holder. And he holds the out, outer peripheral container. And so, you know, looking back on the the home birth that we had on a small little island outside of Vancouver, where Plan B was a, a pretty different scenario of emergency boats and all that, it got cut and dry. And I realized, you know, that it was important for me to also maintain that knowing that everything was moving in a good way and those reminders and affirmations without having to coach her in any way. At no point did I coach her to do anything different, you know? I've I've learned that. Um yes, dear, you know, it's one of the most important things we learn as as papas. Um because the women are much more put together than we are. They actually <laughs> they actually feel more, they have more bridge, you know, they have more fibers in the locus coeleus, which is the bridge between the left and right brain hemisphere. And they're a little bit more tapped in. Um, I think they probably came after we did, you know, from creator, but we're, we're different creatures, you know, and, and they've been given this, this gift and the technology of bringing birth here. And so they know what it takes and they also need our support, right? And, uh, yeah, the funny story they shared in the circle was, was, you know, wanting to share a beautiful song at one point during the birth to, with my wife and, and she allowed me to sing it. And then she was like, yeah, put my playlist back on, please. You know, and, and uh, that was the only thing I really did other than being like a scratching post, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something about the integrity of the space, like you said, right? Like this, yeah. almost like the, yeah, the threshold between the rest of the world and, what's happening there, right? Uh, this kind of archetypal protector yeah. in that moment um, yeah. to protect the, the intelligence that knows how to unfold. Yeah. Um, and there is something, yeah, really, it feels true in that regard uh, for me as well, you know, being present for the birth of my son. Um, but that it did involve helicopter and the whole plan B as well, uh, you know, uh, and, and despite uh, you know, all best intentions and things like that. But regardless, it was really clear to me that this was like a portal opening from the other world. Right, or the stars, or something. It felt like a comet, of course, uh, coming. Uh, and the the intensity of that impact—not intensity is wrong, but just the intensity of like—was so much. And you realize how 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 that's a lot for a couple to hold, right? The intensity of receiving a birth, uh, and uh, how perhaps in the village understanding is that you would have lots circled just you know around the next threshold, the next spiral, to like essentially hold you. them, hold that portal. Uh, and and the wake of that intensity, and of course, yeah, so many cultures do have traditions have lots of ways of supporting, you know, in the aftermath. And unfortunately, this culture seems fairly threadbare in that regard. Yeah, um, thank you. But yeah, there, there's an intelligence there. It feels like to that understanding what it means to open a portal to the other world. Yeah, the veil is very thin in the birth space. And uh, another message I'll share was that we. It was non-negotiable for the lady that owned the the space at, at Xenia Retreat Center where we had our second birth for us to have a midwife or a doula. And so we had a, a woman who had had a couple of home births on the island and she was an excellent doula. And we didn't have her there in the space for several hours. We were in our RV 
And eventually when she wasn't dilating and we thought it was going to be a little bit more of a quick process, but our little guy was two pounds bigger than Sophia, it was much more painful process for her. So I called on her support and the incredible transmission that I got from her was that I, I wanted her to look and see what I was seeing, which looked like membrane. And I thought there might be a cord or something that was wrapped. And she didn't even want to look. And she just looked at Eden and looked in her eyes and she knew that she had it. She knew that she was still in her confidence and her primal power, that she wasn't losing faith. Because that's something that she's been able to notice in holding space for birth. And she just kept telling her, it's safe to go there. When she got really primal and loud and was, you know, drawing blood in my arm, she would say it's safe to go there, you know, which was hard for me to say. Um, I was also able to know that it was all good, but that extra space holder coming in that we were sort of new to, even though we connected with her throughout the birth a little bit, um, she was a new friend to us. And for her to have that experience and to come in and say, you're going to eventually open, you got this, you know was a really powerful reminder. And eventually she opened and we had a beautiful, beautiful home birth. And it's a very different experience, you know, that's not a sped up process with a bunch of bright lights. And we, we cut the bilical cord right away. And that first breath is seriously painful. Like most of us experience in the hospital, we, we waited a good hour and a half, you know, before we cut that cord. And both of my children didn't even flinch because of how that patience of allowing the amniotic fluid of the umbilical cord to completely dry up and we transition into a breath out of the water. It, mm -hmm. it takes some, some patience, which again is more of the slowing down and listening quality that women bring. You know, it tends to be the, the strong hands of the, the patriarchal system that wants to speed things up and bring in an intervention, right? You brought up first breaths of your children, and it strikes me, breath, of course, is the subject of this conversation. And I wonder, how has the breath for you changed over the last two decades or so as you've been, you know, found this work and um, been developing mm -hmm. this offering? And you, I'm curious, your own relationship to your breath, how Thank has that you. shifted over the years? Thank you. Yeah, that's probably the best question you've asked. And, and, you know, it's, it's important because it's, uh, and, you know, a lot of us are addicted to peak experience. And when we get into something like this where we start to experience a lot of power, we really want to go there. And then we have a transformational experience that's, that's altering. We want to go there again. And so we work hard to get there. And, the most important thing that I've learned is gentleness and softness. And when we really drop in and we can just breathe naturally, we're able to become the nature of things, which is our nature. And then we're not getting ahead of ourselves. We're not trying to get somewhere other than where we're at. We're just really being with ourselves. And for me, that's, that's really humble maturity. And that quality can be taught but it's really developed in all of us to to learn through direct experience that we don't have to work so hard in life, that we can connect to what's already the case 
and there's great blessing, you know, that's here. And a lot of times we're looking outside of ourselves for answers or we're looking at a situation and we're triggered by something and we have a tendency to focus on what's wrong about the situation. But if we can just self-regulate, which might just take a, a few breaths, we can drop into gratitude. And that attitude of gratitude starts to help us appreciate what's already the case. And then nothing's wrong any longer, right? And in relationship, that's a really powerful tool, right? Especially when we're triggered by by kids that are freaking out and we're having to change diapers, plus we're having to make dinner and, you know, all the things. Um, there's always a lot on our plate. And we don't have the same amount of time, you know, for ourselves to take care of our own needs. And to be able to take a few deep breaths, you know, we're able to remind each other of that most days. And that's that's really helpful. And so the main ways that my practice has shifted and changed is how much more gentle I am with myself and how that reflects into more calm and gentleness and everything else that I do, which of course ripples through all of my relation. Robin, thanks so much for taking the time out um, to yeah share your story and relationship to breath and your passion for breath and bringing, it, bringing that connection to others. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate you as a reflection, as a brother and a papa. Thanks for the time and the opportunity. We got to get back to circle. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mythic Masculine. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and share this on your social media. Once again, you're also invited to find The Mythic Masculine on Substack. You'll be able to subscribe to forthcoming episodes as well as become a paid supporter. Visit themythicmasculine.com supporter to learn more.